Hey there. Welcome to one of our first stories of the podcast. I'm David All, and this is Belly of the Beast Life Stories and Beyond. In season three, we shouldered up with you and made it clear that this podcast is not for sale. No advertising or outside influence, a sacred and safe space. Starting with season three, we dedicate a poem to one of our listeners that is standing with us as an enabler of our mission. They're doing so by chipping in $5 at bellystory.com. To be true to our word, we're going back through some of our earlier content in seasons one and two and removing the segments that we feel may not be congruent with this idea. So enjoy. This story, like every other story on our podcast, is now 100% advertising free. A safe space where you can let your guard down, listen, and notice if something comes up in your soul. If you would like to be an enabler, and we certainly could use your help, visit bellystory.com and chip in $5 today. Now, here's that extraordinary life story. Before we get started, I want to let you know that this episode is our season finale for season two, and what a season it has been. In season two for Love My Child, we heard firsthand accounts proving without a doubt the transformative nature of a parent's enduring love for their child, regardless of the challenges they had to face. If you haven't already, consider writing a fair review on iTunes to help us reach our goal of 100. We're only a few ratings away, and this is the best way to keep us motivated. Now, cue the music. The goal of this podcast is to bring to life the nature of transformation through people's personal stories of getting knocked down in life and climbing up a new person. Listen for free wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this show so that other heroes can find it too. Let me introduce you to Ashley Wayne. It was it was scary. It was, you know, when you're suddenly put in charge of another human being in all aspects of their lives and you know you have to take care of them and meet all those needs it's it's so much more sobering than when it's just you you know all the things that i'd done as a blind person you know it it was just me it you know was much less frightening but all of a sudden it's like oh my goodness i have to be responsible for this individual you know is my blindness going to hinder them or, or, you know, harm them in some way. Ashley's motherhood dream was fulfilled when the international adoption of her daughter came to fruition. But in those weeks and days leading up to it, Ashley was terrified and doubted herself. You see, her daughter was blind and only two and a half years old. She would need a full-time, ever-watchful caregiver to keep her safe. And Ashley doubted herself, because she was born blind. Without the gift of sight, she doubted whether she'd be a good primary caregiver. Ashley and her husband faced this challenge, and things returned to normalcy 
so much so that they adopted another blind child from Bulgaria. And four weeks ago that we recorded this episode, she had her first biological child. Ashley Wayne, welcome to Belly of the Beast Life Stories. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very glad to be here. Ashley, I'd love for you to take us back to the time before your daughter, Lexi, joined your family. And it was a couple of weeks right before you were about to be united with her. And you realized that not only was she blind, but she was going to require a full-time caregiver, someone to keep a watchful eye over her to keep her safe. Can you tell us about those few weeks leading up to your international adoption of your daughter, Lexi? It was a very emotional time. I remember as it got closer, feeling this immense weight and, and wondering, am I really going to be able to take care of her? Um, I had done a lot of things as a blind person that I think many people would uh, imagine would be pretty difficult. I'd uh, gone whitewater rafting and rock climbing and um, even flown a little um, Cessna plane (laughs) at one point. Um, But parenting felt like it was going to be this much more insane and immense task. And I, I really didn't know if I could do it, but we had obviously committed and were going to adopt her. So in a sense, uh, even though I had so many fears, it was still, well, this is going to happen. <laughs> you know, by that point, you don't uh, have a choice. She, she's, she's been uh, legally declared my daughter by the, by the courts. And, you know, as the time got closer and, you know, we made all the travel arrangements and um, it was just that realization that, okay, I'm going to have to figure this out and it's probably not going to be easy. And there are probably going to be things that a sighted um, mother would be able to do more efficiently or faster or better um, possibly. But at the same, at the same time, you know, she is my daughter and I'm going to figure this out and we'll have to learn together. And um, so it was, it was very, very intense um, few weeks. And just as it got closer and closer, um, yeah, a lot of those thoughts and fears definitely, you know, were coming to the forefront. It definitely gave me a lot to think about on the, you know, 16 hour, however long it was, I can't remember anymore exactly plane ride over there. (laughs) So yeah, it was, uh, it's been even thinking about it now, it brings, I, I can remember just uh, and it's been, she's been home for five years now. And uh, I can still remember just how uh, nervous I was. And, you know, I wasn't sure I could do it as a blind mother, um, wondering if I had gotten into something that maybe I couldn't really handle. But thank the Lord, that hasn't been true. Can you bring to life that time in your life? Maybe there was a specific moment where you were setting yourself thinking about just these little parenting tasks, everything from changing diapers, but also could you be a caregiver, right? Could you be the primary caregiver and could you be a good and safe mother? Can you tell us about those moments? 
I think when when that when that question is put to me, what immediately comes to mind is uh, so when we um, landed in country um, to pick her up, we were there for a couple days, and we had the night before we left um, for uh, going back home. We're, we have a really early morning flight and uh, we finally got Lexi to sleep and I'm laying in bed trying to sleep myself knowing that we have a extremely early flight and it's multiple flights and we're going to be dealing with jet lag, all three of us, and it's going to be <laughs> not fun. And just laying there trying to sleep, but you know, all I can think about is how am I going to do all of this? You know, like you said, how am I really going to change diapers practically? How am I going to bathe her? Um, you know, what if she slips and, you know, gets in the water, you know, her head gets in the water. What if, you know, what if I'm trying to dress her and, you know, something crazy happens and, and, and then you start to think of, bigger things, you know, like, well, I want to, what if I take her to playgrounds and she falls and I don't realize it right away or um, just all these. And for me, most of them were the simple everyday parenting tasks that I was even wondering, can I really do this? You know, even in something as simple as, you know, taking her to um, friends' houses to play, just simple things like getting out of the car with her. Uh, obviously, um, I would not have been the one driving, <laughs> but, you know, say we go to meet a friend and, and they pick us up and how well, getting her in the car seat and out of the car seat. And, you know, can I, can I really do all those things? And uh, it was, it was scary. It was, you know, when you're suddenly put in charge of another human being in all aspects of their lives and, you know, you have to take care of them and meet all those needs. It's, it's so much more sobering than when it's just you, you know, all the things that I'd done as a blind person, you know, it, it was just me. It, you know, was much less frightening, but all of a sudden it's like, Oh my goodness, I have to be responsible for this individual. You know, is my blindness going to hinder them or, or, you know, harm them in some way. And uh, while we were still in country, I had a a brief moment of, of that concern. Uh, So, she uh, was two and a half years old, but she wasn't walking yet. Um, she was her legs were completely fine. She was totally capable of walking. Just uh, orphanage and foster care life is difficult, and a lot of times, you know, I think it was just easier for. She had a great foster family. I do want to make that um, clear. From what we saw, they really tried to take care of her and do the best they could. But I think it was just easier for them to carry her around or to take her hands and just lead her. Um, than trying to teach her to walk herself. So she wasn't yet walking by herself. And so I was using a, a carrier to um, strap her to me so that I could still use my cane and have my other hand free. And I was working, you know, getting her in the carrier and, you know, got her leg caught. Um, she wasn't hurt. Nothing, you know, uh, drastic or terrible actually happened, but it scared her and it scared me. And, you know, so you know, even before leaving uh, her country, I ha- already had this moment of, oh my gosh, like I haven't even gotten her home yet. And I'm already causing, you know, <laughs> causing her problems. 
which, you know, looking back, it's easy to say, well, a sighted parent could have easily made the same mistake. But, you know, in those moments, it really it, it can feel like, well, this is all this is all due to my blindness. So, yeah, those were some key moments that just really stand out to me that I probably won't ever forget. And I want to thread the dots for our listeners by sharing a little bit about your background. So Ashley was born three months premature, two pounds, one ounce, not expected to live. She survived three months in the NICU, the NICU, and she was diagnosed with retinopathy of prematurity, which caused unwanted blood vessels to grow in the retina. Of that, you described once, both my retinas had detached from the optic nerve and I had no sight not even light perception. And still, that challenge didn't hold you back. You graduated college, you received a master's in social work, and you were even a case manager at a faith-based homeless shelter helping folks get off the streets. But this moment when you were becoming a mother forced change on you you realized that sight was no longer a luxury that you could live without, but it was a gift that you wished that you possessed. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that was, um, that was a big turning point for me because I had, my, my parents were, um, uh, were, and <laughs> are still amazing, um, amazing people. And they didn't treat me any different growing up. Um, as a blind, as a blind child, I, you know, yeah, I went to, it was in public school and college and all of those normal, uh, things that you would expect someone to do. And so I didn't really see sight as something that I needed. And that idea for me was only reinforced when in high school and college, I was involved with organizations that, you know, of blind individuals who really um, work to teach independence and empowerment and, you know, very good things. But, you know, a lot of their focal point is that you don't need sight, that you can learn alternative techniques and do pretty much everything that a sighted person can do, just you might do it in different ways. And you know, I really believe that and, and kind of, you know, wholeheartedly went full speed ahead. <laughs> with that idea and I didn't need sight and I could get along just fine without it. And almost to the detrimental extreme of that end, you know, believing that sight wasn't necessary. And I was, um, an amazing, <laughs> an amazing blind person who could do anything, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't need anyone's help, um, especially help from those, those sighted people, uh, <laughs> And yeah, I think parenting really did bring me to my knees uh, figuratively and literally sometimes just the realization that sight is a gift and it would be not just nice to have, but would be, you know, preferred in a lot of cases um, when it comes to parenting and that it was okay to admit that, you know, that admitting that having those difficult moments, you know, man, I wish I could just see it would make this task so much easier. Didn't make me a, a bad, uh, blind person who wasn't, you know, 
um, upholding and representing, you know, the capabilities of blind people well, you know, wanting sight didn't, didn't do that. It just made me, you know, human and have to admit, you know, okay, there are going to be many times when I need help, whether it's from, you know, my husband who's sighted or other, um, other mothers, you know, who might be sighted or, you know, just that realization that it's okay to ask for help and to um, not have all the answers and have everything together all the time. I never would have thought that parenting would have been the, the, you know, the issue that would have done that to me, but um, it didn't take very long. Uh, for my whole perception on on so many things to change. Going back to the story, you're in Bulgaria, which is a country in the Balkans, and you're there to pick up your daughter, Lexi, and take her back to the United States. Can you share with us that journey and those first few days and weeks of being a mother? I mean, you had so many fears about this period, you know, could you do it? Can you start to walk us through that? I think it, the pivotal moment that kind of defined that journey was, you know, we got home around, I think it was around midnight after, you know, multiple flights, long flights, flight delays, three very jet lagged <laughs> individuals. Um, you know, one of them being a toddler who doesn't speak English and, is very confused as to why everything has suddenly changed and all the people that she uh, knew are no longer there. And we all, you know, went to sleep around midnight. And I remember thinking, okay, she didn't sleep hardly at all on any of the plane rides. Surely she's going to sleep for at least, you know, seven or eight hours. And, and I think she woke up at, you know, after five hours maybe <laughs> and I just I, I remember that moment of hearing her over the monitor and just you know, oh my gosh like my my life is never going to be the same again uh blind or not you know like this <laughs> I just want to sleep and you're you know she's already awake and nothing nothing will ever be the same again you know that even in that tired, frustrated moment, like that realization that it's never going to be about me again. <laughs> um, it's never going to be about what would, you know, what I want, what would make me most comfortable. It's never going to be about my preferences. Um, it's, you know, it's not really going to be my life anymore. There's this little person in the next room who, you know, absolutely needs me. You know, she needs to come before me. And I wish I could say that I wholeheartedly embrace that reality, you know, but that mixed with the kind of wondering, resenting in a sense, my blindness, like, can I really do this, you know, be her mother also mixed with this sort of, I just, I, this is going to be awful because I have to do so much now. You know, I, I wish I could say that I just immediately, became, um, you know, unselfish and, and happily served her. But, um, you know, that's not, uh, <laughs> that's not, uh, what happened. You know, it, it took, 
those first couple of weeks were extremely hard. I, you know, she was awake at very strange hours. And again, I mean, she was just as jet lagged as we were, you know, so it makes perfect sense now looking back five years later, but you know, it was exhausting. It was, um, it was trying. She didn't know English. And so those first few weeks, you know, she's constantly saying things to us in Bulgarian. Um, you know, we have no idea what she's trying to say, you know, when it was time to go to sleep, she did not want to sleep and would, you know, scream and cry. And that was a, you know, a battle a lot of times to get her to sleep. And uh, she really preferred Luke to me. And that made it even harder um, because, you know, I didn't immediately have that, you know, overwhelming, intense, you know, emotional love uh, and bonding with her um, because she really preferred Luke. Honestly, um, those first couple of weeks, I, f- I felt like she could have cared less if I was even there, <laughs> you know, which didn't, didn't help in my, my attitude. You know, my attitude a lot of times was already not the best. And so then, well, she's not caring about me. Like this just makes it that much more hard and sometimes exasperating when I need to take care of her. And Luke only had uh my husband only had a couple, uh, like a week off of work, I believe it was maybe a little bit longer, but it was a pretty short time. And so, and he worked nights. And so uh, I was back, you know, I was pretty much in that primary caregiver position pretty quickly once we got home. And, um, it was, it was hard. It was extremely, extremely hard, hard dealing with my own emotions and my concern for her, you know, every little task, like I kind of dreaded every diaper change. Like, am I going to get her clean enough? I can't see if there's still, you know, excrement on her. Like I, you know, I would often just give her baths probably way more than necessary (laughs) because I was just so worried about, um, you know, not getting her clean enough. Um, You know, so there was this intense concern for her, but also this, just exhaustion and and I'm sad to say now, but you know, just frustration. Like oh, I, I wish that you know I didn't have to do as much for 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 her as I do, um, and that's definitely uh, not not a proud moment. But it's it's caused me to really grow and to evaluate myself and you know, kind of come face to face with. Uh, character flaws that if you had asked me before children uh, came into the picture, I wouldn't have thought that I had. <laughs> so it's interesting to see what children, I think, bring out in 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 you that's already there that you uh, might not have otherwise realized. At least I can say that in my case. But yeah, those first few weeks, we kind of got thrown in and we both had to learn together. And um, it took some time for both of us to really adapt to each other. You know, five years later, I can't imagine my life without her. But there were many moments during those first couple of weeks when it was, you know, the thought of like, what have I done? Like, <laughs> there's no, you know, she can't, I can't give her back. Like, it's it's done. Like, I am forever in charge of, you know, this, this little human being. <laughs> Ashley, I would like you to talk about the moment when you surrendered to this new experience, to this change in your life. You told me, you said, it caused me to come to terms with asking for help 
and redefining my understanding of independence. For so long, I had this this idea that uh, to be independent meant that uh, independent as a blind person um, meant that I never should have to ask for help. Um, that there should be ways that I find to do any task, you know, by myself, and that if I did ask for help or wasn't able to do something. Um, you know, efficiently using an alternative technique, um, then, you know, not only was I um, reflecting badly on myself as a blind person, but that it was, you know, also casting a negative kind of shadow over all blind people, um, which, you know, (laughs) I kind of chuckle now as I say that out loud. Um, But I really did um, think that for a long time, especially in, you know, early 20s. and just to give a quick example of that mindset, this doesn't have to do with this parenting um, because uh, I wasn't even married at the time, but um, my uh, Luke, who's now my husband, um, we had just met and had just started to get to know each other. And at one point he, he held a door for me. I don't even remember now where we were going or what was going on, but I just remember getting so upset at him because I don't need you to hold, to hold the door. I'm totally capable of opening the door myself. And, you know, in his mind, it had nothing to do with blindness. He was just being a gentleman and, <laughs> and holding the door. But in my mind, you know, I'm the one bringing up the blindness uh, issue and that happened a lot where I think I was the one who ended up making it an issue that for most people, it actually probably wasn't. Um, so there's definitely some <laughs> some uh, irony in that. So when you know I became a, a mom, it was this sort of uh, stark realization that I need to rethink all of these ideas. <laughs> um, and there was a particular moment that I... I remember it was fairly early on when Lexi was home. It was somewhat early on, actually, probably, I think as a parent, time all blurs together. So I can't give an exact date, but she was, we were working on potty training and that's relevant as you'll see in a moment. (laughs) Um, Luke was uh, at a meeting and so wasn't home. And I had just had this really sweet moment with my daughter and we shared a turkey sandwich together <laughs> and it was really nice. And then she told me that she had to go to the bathroom. And so she's trying to make it to the bathroom, doesn't make it in time. And um, there is now, you know, excrement all over the floor. And I remember just this moment of, oh my goodness, what? how am I possibly going to clean this up? I don't know where it is. I have a vague idea, but I don't know where it is. And I'm just probably going to step in it and make the situation way worse. So I end up calling my, um, calling my neighbor um, who uh, I knew her somewhat well, but it's not as if we, you know, had dinner together all the time and we we weren't great friends, but I ended up calling her and it's like nine o'clock at night. I'm like, okay, (laughs) 
<laughs> hi, um, I really, this is what's happened and I really could use help. Um, mm. And bless her heart, she came over and, you know, helped clean the floor. <laughs> um, you know, and thankfully it actually was not as big of a mess as I was envisioning, um, which for my neighbor's sake, I'm very grateful. But just that, that moment of realizing I really, okay, could I do it myself if I absolutely had to? Yes, I'm sure that I could find way and it would get done. Would it, I think it would have been much more uh, time consuming and um, probably would have you know, made a bigger mess at points. And so just the realization that it was much more efficient and easier and helpful to call somebody who had sight and they could come over and help me take care of that in probably half or, you know, three quarters of the time it would have taken me to do it myself. And, you know, she, you know, was just so kind. And, you know, as far as, you know, there didn't seem to be any, you know, <laughs> resentment or exasperation or I totally, you know, it's like, I totally understand why you'd want help. Like I would too, if I couldn't see <laughs> and that it happened. So I, I think that was a very uh, defining um, incident for me as far as just realizing, you know, it, it is very okay to ask for help. And, you know, most often people are happy to help. Um, and it doesn't make you weak or um, less of a person. Um, just that, I, you know, I think it's so easy to just think that we all blind or otherwise have to do everything ourselves all the time. Um, and that really is a pretty exhausting way to live. Um, and, you know, on, on the other side of it, getting that mess cleaned up allowed me to spend more time with Lexi. You know, if I had tried to clean it all up myself, probably would have, uh, you know, robbed us of the evening. And so when, you know, my neighbor came over and helped, then I was able to actually, you know, spend more time with her instead of just focusing on the mess. I was reading an article that you wrote where you say asking for help does not make you weak or less of a person. It just makes you human. I would love for you to talk to us now about how things started to return to normal for you and your family. I think it was just the process of day by day realizing that, um, okay, I've successfully changed diapers today and fed her today and gotten her dressed today. And we've successfully done um, some school. You know, we've learned some letters or we've learned some, uh, some numbers or we went for a walk today and nothing crazy happened. <laughs> it's just sort of that slow process of everyday tasks getting done and uh, finding a rhythm and finding, finding ways to get to know each other better. And especially as she began to learn English, which happened pretty quickly. Uh, it was honestly amazing how fast um, she picked it up. And once we could understand each other, that made a big difference also. And so you know, there was no big moment where suddenly everything became felt normal. It just sort of happened gradually, um, you know, realized that things weren't quite as intense or frightening as I had originally thought. doesn't mean that I still didn't need help or things weren't frustrating at points, but it began to feel less and less alien and yeah, just a bit more uh, 
a bit more normal. Ashley, it's safe to say that you were getting your family under control, so much so that you were ready to build your family even more and adopt your second child from Bulgaria. John joined your family, you found yourself in Bulgaria again, and John has a rare disease, cerebral palsy. Can you tell us about why you and Luke made the decision to adopt another blind child and what that was like bringing John into your family? Some uh, really good friends of ours who also adopted from Bulgaria sent us John's profile. And initially, I struggled with the idea of immediately adopting again, but remembered how long the adoption process takes. It can take, um, you know, it can take up to two years, sometimes even longer. And so realizing that we had time, it wasn't as if um, he would have been in our family, you know, the next day. So there would be time to work through that. And so as we read through his profile, you know, he had so many factors that would make it more difficult for him to be adopted. And um, these were all kind of confirmed by the social worker that we spoke with at the uh, International Adoption Agency. Boys are less likely often to be adopted than girls. He was older. He was six uh, when we first saw his profile. Older children are less likely to be adopted. And the cerebral palsy, uh, which is a condition that often results from premature birth. And best we can tell, uh, medical information is is spotty in international adoptions. But best we can tell, that's probably why he has had that due to being born so premature. But it's a condition that affects the muscles in the legs um, and sometimes the arms as well. And it can also affect balance. And so it can make walking um, very, you know, walking uh, difficult. And so, you know, he also had that condition and we knew that that was going to make it even harder for him to be adopted. And so we just felt like we couldn't leave him where he was. You know, he probably would have grown up in, uh, in orphanages and just lived there even as an adult. And actually when we went to visit him, uh, in Bulgaria, we found out that a lot of the other um, people, residents in his orphanage were not children, but um, adults in their 20s who just due to malnutrition looked like children. And uh, you know, we didn't, uh, didn't want that for him. Um, and so, you know, just like with Lexi, I was nervous because now we're, we're bringing in a whole nother facet. We didn't know what kind of mobility issues we would be looking at, and we didn't know how mobile he would ever be able to be. And so I had concerns, you know, what if he's never able to walk in our home we have an upstairs? And what if he's never able to walk? And I don't know that I would be able to carry him upstairs. And so just a lot of those practical things that we really had to wrestle through. And, you know, even with all those, we still decided that we wanted to try and bring him home and we would figure it out, <laughs> move if we had to, you know, to, to make it all work as he got older. And, uh, uh, his process, his adoption process took longer. Um, he was six when we first saw his profile and started everything. He was eight when he came home and he's now, uh, 11. 
and um, he is now uh, walking, which is uh, just an amazing kindness of God. Um, his his legs were actually pretty sound and pretty strong um, in the sense of that the cerebral palsy could have been much worse. And if somebody had worked with him in Bulgaria, I, it, it seems as if he would have been walking uh, much sooner than eight years old. He took his first steps at eight years old, a couple months after coming home with us. And, um, you know, he can now run down our hallway and climb up and down our stairs and jump on his trampoline and ride his adaptive bike. And, you know, a family, <laughs> even one that, you know, we all have our own issues, but a, a family can, can really make such a huge difference for a child. You know, he's just come so far. Um, and uh, when we were in Bulgaria meeting him, um, we were always told to avoid his left side, um, like his left arm and left hand, and only, you know, hold him by the right arm or the right hand um, because the left side was weaker or perceived to be. And, you know, now he plays piano, um, you know, using both hands. And, you know, he's just doing really well. Um, and he has a, a ways to go, but, you know, don't we all? <laughs> in one area of life or another. And so, you know, it was, it was big. It was, it was a huge transition, but in many different ways, um, because, uh, you know, we didn't know what we were getting into when he came home, but, you know, it, it's been worth it to just see how far he's come and uh, to see how well he's doing and to see what a difference family really does make for kids. Tell us about the role of faith in your life. It's, uh, it's everything. Um, it's you know, what I, I hope to, you know, what we hope and strive for to, to teach our children, you know, that there is, uh, you know, there is, there is a God and it's, you know, we can know him through Christ and, you know, parenting those moments that I talked about earlier with Lexi and dealing with my my frustration and exasperation and selfishness uh, and not wanting at times to do what needed to be done um, for her um, you know they they just parenting has really highlighted um, the the sin in my life and the need for um, a savior in Christ and I've just come to realize more and more like how much um, I need the the spirit of Christ to change me so that I can be a bet, you know, be transformed and, and show my children um, the kindness and, and love um, that uh, in my own, you know, sinful nature, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ever want to show them because <laughs> let's face it, parenting requires sacrifice and, uh, you know, by my my nature, I don't want to sacrifice. I want to be the one being taken care of and served. And um, parenting has just shown me again and again every day um, how great God is and um, how amazing, you know, uh, he is and what um, Christ has done in my life um, and that need for a savior and um, just that realization that, yeah, I... Uh, I can't do it on my own and I never will be able to that my heart really does need to be changed <laughs> and uh you know believing in 
Jesus' death and re- resurrection is what will do that for me, and it's what I'm hoping to teach my kids, and um, you know that they can can realize that and can also just um, appreciate. Like we do, we do a lot of hiking and we try and go outdoors a lot. We're living in Utah right now. And so there's a lot of the mountains and a lot of just beautiful things. And just trying to teach my kids that they can know the God who made all these amazing things too. And um, it's, it's, we live in a great place to be able to do that. And, um, but yeah, uh, I would say that my, my faith in Christ is just so fund- fundamental to everything that I do and everything that I am. And it's what I hope my kids will see um, as they grow older. I stumbled upon a photo of you and your family, all smiles, in front of the Grand Canyon in June of 2019. Can you take us back to that day and the moment that you arrived to take that photo and just describe kind of the whole process of talking about what that was like and that moment and how important it was for your family to be together. Uh, yeah, that was such a great trip. Um, my Lexi still talks about it cause it's, you know, it's almost June uh, now. Can we go back to the grand Canyon? <laughs> like, oh, I wish we could do that every year. Um, and it was extra special because uh, extended family um, was there. Yeah. And I, <laughs> I actually had written about that experience because a lot of people, you know, and, and rightfully so, I can completely understand. But you went to the Grand Canyon, but none of, you know, most of you can't see. <laughs> Wasn't that, uh, you know, less of an experience um, for you? And again, it's a fair question. Um, and that's another just quick example of how my perspective and attitudes have changed because a few years ago, um, I think I would have really resented that question. Well, what do you mean? Just because we don't have sight, we can still appreciate things. And, you know, what, what's wrong with you? How could you think that? Um, <laughs> but now I can totally, it's a very valid question. Um, you know, when you think of the Grand Canyon, it's mostly in terms of the visual grandeur and, and depth and, you know, vastness of it. Um, but uh, I think there's, and, and I wouldn't have thought this before, but after being being there, I think vastness can be felt. You know, I, I couldn't necessarily describe it in um, in definite, tangible terms as far as well. It made me feel this exact way at you know at this exact time, but just overall, I think when you're standing at the edge of something that huge and that, that vast and that um, it's so much bigger than you so much more immense than, than um, anything you've ever experienced before. You can really feel it. And, you know, I think the kids experience that as well. Um, and, you know, just the quiet even um, of it, you know, there's no traffic and there's no, um, you know, just city noise and just, um, you're, you know, confronted with silence and with vastness. And I don't think you need sight necessarily to experience and appreciate those things. Now I would have liked to have had sight. I think it would have been very awesome to 
to see um, the actual canyon. Um, you know, my husband has said that he probably could um, have just walked the same section over and like every day over and over again and, you know, not gotten tired of it. Of it. Um, but yeah, just getting to be there and, and see such an amazing um, example of creation was, was wonderful. And I absolutely loved it. And, um, you know, the kids found their own way to enjoy things. Um, you know, John <laughs> really enjoyed the echoes and, uh, Lexi, you know, found rocks to climb and other things to, <laughs> to explore. And, um, it was, it was awesome. And, uh, yeah, I, I would recommend if you're able to go, um, I would absolutely recommend you go and just experience that. Yeah. You know, let it affect you and, and draw you to the one who created it. And uh, it's an awesome experience, even without sight. <laughs> I want to expand upon this line of discussion. And to do that, I want to bring up a few different things that you've talked about in your articles. And just so our listeners know, I'm going to link up a few of my favorites in the episode notes. So make sure you read through those. They're enlightening. So you mentioned... You say blind kids still love and want to play. Both your kids love to color. They have their favorite colors. In fact, your daughter has a wardrobe based on her favorite color. (laughs) And then you talk about John playing the piano and how he has this gift for music, which you talked about earlier in this episode already. And then with Lexi, you know, she was excelling in gymnastics and she's even impressing her teachers. And there's this side of the coin that we haven't touched on, which is a bit of what you just brought up with regard to how awesome it would have been to see the Grand Canyon. And you say, I want to be able to actually see, in the literal sense, my kids. I want to see them grow up. I want to see them laugh and smile. Can you share for us? what it's like not to be able to see and have these experiences with your children and in life. I think it just forces me to, I mean, I've always, um, you know, had to rely more on my hearing um, and just to dispel a myth um, because I always have to take any opportunity to, uh, (laughs) to mention this, Um, you know, blind people don't have super hearing Um, you know, as awesome as it would be, we're not like daredevil. Um, you know, we just have to rely on our hearing more. So I think, you know, as a, as a blind person, I'm more aware of it. I I pay more attention to it, but it's just by default. You know, I don't think that my hearing is better than yours. I just have to use it more frequently, um, since I don't have sight to rely on, but, you know, so I've always had to do that, but I think, um, having kids has just really accentuated the need to, to pay attention so that I don't miss uh, a laugh or, you know, a game that they're playing or, you know, or uh, um, just a new thing that they've discovered or a new thing that they want to tell me about or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, it, it has been interesting though. So about a month ago, um, our third child came into the world 
um, was our first uh, biological child. And I'm realizing that because he is, as best we can tell, he is fully uh, sighted. And I'm realizing that I miss, and it's it's a little sad that I I never know, like I want to know what he's looking at. You know, babies, they they literally are experiencing everything in the world for the first time. And, you know, like one time, you know, um, Luke pointed out that he was, uh, the, the baby was, you know, looking at one of like a painting that we have on our wall and, you know, moments like that. I'm like, Oh man, I'm never going to know every, like, I want to know every day. Like, what are you, what are you looking at? What do you, what do you find fascinating at, (laughs) at your infant stage in life? You know, like, what are you looking at around the room? You know, so that's kind of accentuated that, that sort of realization that, Oh man, it would be so cool to be able to, to see my kids, you know, but it makes me appreciate the ways that I can experience them growing up and learning. And, you know, I love hearing John play piano and seeing Lexi, you know, (laughs) practice her handstands and her somersaults and she'll, she'll, you know, mommy, come, come see, come see what I'm doing and look. And she'll like, want me to, you know, have my hands on her as she's going up in a handstand, you know, and it works and it's, it's pretty fun. But yeah, having a newborn has really accentuated that because I'm like, I want to know what you're looking at all the time. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm grateful for the ways that I can experience life with my children. And you know, having a sighted child is going to be um, really interesting and really crazy. And I think once he discovers that one of his parents and his siblings can't see, he's probably going to have a lot of fun with that. Um, I'm hoping that he'll also be helpful too, but you know, he'll probably just be, <laughs> just be a little terror at points, but it'll be fun. <laughs> he'll like hide things from us and, oh no, it's totally on the table. Just keep looking. I, I saw it. It's there. That's what I would do. <laughs> Ashley, imagine if you could going back to your younger self, you're on the flight to Bulgaria to pick up your daughter, Lexi, and you have all of these thoughts running through your head. You're terrified at being a mother. Are you going to be able to do the little things like change her diapers? Are you going to be able to keep her safe? If you could whisper a bit of advice to her right now, just before she's about to take on motherhood, what would you say? Probably that... You know, it, it all really will be okay. You know, you will figure it out. You know, yeah, you'll you'll make some mistakes, but nothing, you know, so horrible that, you know, <laughs> you, neither you or her will be scarred for life. You know, you, you will figure it out together and, you know, all the things will get done. And you'll figure out ways to, to make it work. And that, uh, you know, would definitely say to ask for help early on and to accept your friends who want to help you and your family and everyone who really does want to help you, not because they think you're so pathetic that you need it, but just because parenting is hard for anyone and uh, they want to be there for you. So take that help. Yeah, I think those would be the the two main things and just to take it day by day and um, it will all work itself out. 
I mean, I, I wouldn't have thought that, you know, I would be able to care for a newborn, but he's been home for about three weeks now and I've changed diapers and bathed him and burped him and fed him. And he's, you know, he's still alive. So, <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's pretty, it's crazy, but it's, it's amazing. And yeah, things can get done and it, it'll all be okay. Ashley, I'm sure it's been a gift for your children to have a mother who knows exactly what they're going through. And you've written articles directly to other parents, helping bring awareness to what it's like to be blind, not only for your children, right, to let their kids play with your kids, but just to cooperate and to grab their hands when they're playing tag and play together. But also in the sense of that you love chocolate and coffee. You're just like a mom, a normal mom. And you're open to talking and connecting with people. And I'd love for you to share with us your message of how being blind or disabled or anything other than can be distancing and how you'd like to break down those barriers. I think um, the biggest thing is just um, that to not, you know, I, I don't want to be treated any differently because I'm blind in the sense of uh, I, I don't need to be spoken louder to, I don't need to be spoken, you know, slower. <laughs> I don't need people to speak slower to me. Blindness doesn't uh, affect my personality or my mental capabilities or, you know, any of those type of things. And so just, um, you know, yeah, just being treated just like any other person. And, uh, you know, I, I want my kids to be able to be treated the same, you know, and for it not to just be assumed, well, they're blind, so they can't play this or that game. Like, you know, for it not to be assumed that, well, they're blind, they can't play this this game or how can they, they can't do this activity. So, you know, we just won't ask, you know, I'd I'd love for them to be included on, on everything. And, and uh, I think the other main point would just be that to not just assume that we automatically need help, you know, to let the person ask first, as opposed to just assuming that we need help. I can tell a brief story of that, that I think highlights that point really well. I had taken Lexi to a uh, to a playground uh, sometime last year, I believe it was, and we go there often. She knows that playground better than I do, honestly. And there was an, an individual there who, uh, an adult who just knew that that my daughter wanted to go to that slide over there, even though there was there were many other slides on the playground and other things to do. But this person was just so certain that my daughter wanted to go to that specific slide. And to my daughter's credit, to Lexi's credit, she, you know, was polite and kept saying, no, thank you. I don't need help. Or I know, no, I know this, I know this playground. I know where I'm going, but the person didn't speak English. So they only spoke Spanish. And so that made things extra complicated. And I, she had, Lexi came over to me and was telling me what's going on. Like this person won't like leave me alone. (laughs) you know, won't stop, um, trying to take me over to a slide. And so I was explaining to her, you know, well, they're, they're, 
you know, I don't think they're being mean. They're just trying to be helpful, but sometimes people don't understand. Um, and so I was trying to explain to, to her, to my daughter and the person came over and physically tried to like take her back to that slide when she was clearly talking with me. And it was obvious that, you know, I was some care, you know, a trusted caretaker. And so I, you know, probably some pretty awful broken Spanish, but I got my point across <laughs> and the person left pretty quickly. And um, I haven't seen them since actually. But the point of that story is, you know, just don't, don't assume that we need help. I mean, by all means ask, but if we say no, you know, we, we really mean no. And <laughs> um, forced help is, is not uh, a great thing. And especially when it comes to children. Lexi will still bring up that that incident. And so it's given us, you know, just good conversations for her and I to talk about, you know, what people really mean well. And, you know, in in these are things you can do in these situations, things you can say and, you know, you you can um you know, be assertive and, you know, but also, you know, polite. And so it's it's been good conversations. But yeah, um I've had lots of strange experiences as a blind person you know i've had people ask me really bizarre questions and um you know speak louder or slower than was at all necessary um but you know when your kids are kind of dragged into all that it can be it can be hard when people aren't as kind as, as you wish they were but i also try and look at it as a way to to you know hopefully explain and educate and so then that the next blind person um you know maybe you won't have to deal with with so much of that um so the blind leads the blind ashley thank you so much for your story thank you for sharing your life journey with us thank you for illuminating and giving us empathy so that we can walk in your shoes and see what that's like thank you for telling your story in many articles and getting the word out so that we can all gain from your knowledge and wisdom in this area of life. It's only been a few weeks since William was born, and here you are sharing your story. I'm grateful to you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for, for giving me the opportunity. Really enjoyed it. What an extraordinary life story. If this story moved you, help enable our mission and keep this advertising free podcast going by chipping in $5 at bellystory.com. I'm responsible and accountable for this podcast, but I don't do it alone. Milos Brochetta is our sound engineer. Artie Wu is our advisor, and many others have helped along the way to bring the story to life. Thank you for listening. I'm David All, and this is Belly of the Beast Life Stories and Beyond. Thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts and sharing it with a friend or two. Stay tuned. I'm working on some stories that you need to hear. <laughs>